I was able to learn how to sell. I was able to learn how to talk to people. I used to get so nervous talking to people, you know, before I got into the fitness industry. If I didn't know somebody, I couldn't talk to them. Yeah. But after talking to people all day, every day, I got used to it and I'm comfortable going up to anyone talking to them now. But what I mean by I was able to keep that paycheck coming in while I was starting the real estate sales business. And for the first year, everything I made from real estate sales just felt like a nice bonus check. So the question is this, how do most agents find the secrets to succeed in today's competitive real estate market, especially when the top agents are keeping those secrets to themselves? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. Hi, I'm Aaron Amuchastegui, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Amuchastegui. Today, for our episode, I get to interview Jordan Moorhead. You know, I met Jordan in Austin. Jordan is now an agent in Austin growing his business here. But you know, one of the interesting parts of his story is he is just recently moving his business to Austin. He has done it in other places. You know, he was out in Minneapolis and you know, had a team and transitioning. So I think we'll probably talk a little bit today about how do you transition in real estate if you move locations? Right. And what that what's what that's like, some new ways that he is you know, creating that credibility in the new city and you know, maybe some other investments and other things. Jordan, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Love the show. Hey, awesome. So the, that's I think that was one of the things when, when we were meeting up, you had you'd been an avid listener for a long time. The you know, can you th- can you think back to any you know, either favorite episodes or something that you heard on the show that you might have uh, applied sometime in your career? Oh man, there was one recent. Oh, the recent one with the Ninja Selling book. I picked that up and I've been reading that and really enjoying it. So I forget who she was. Also in GoBundance, correct? Yeah, the Ninja Selling is is a good one. She's a part of the GoBundance GoBundance Women's Group, and we will put a link. To, I forget which episode number it is, but I'll put a link to that episode number on here too, just as a fun you know reminder. Uh, of some of the things that's out there. You know, every week and every month we have kind of new things. And one of the most fun things is when I get to interview people on the show that have been listeners for a while, mm-hmm. you know, and get to get to see what they've been doing and why. Why don't we, so right now you're in Austin, you were in Minneapolis. When did you get your license? Got my license in September of 2017 in Minnesota. Okay. What got you, what, what made you want to get your license? You know, I I was I bought my first house hack in 2016, and the process was a little clunky. I figured there's got to be a better way out there, and if I can't find it, maybe I can do it. So that, I just really wanted to help people house hack, and that's why I got into it. Where did you first hear about house hacking? Man, I just had the idea a long time back that it was a good idea to live in one side of a duplex and rent the other, and maybe my mortgage expenses would be cheaper. I had really no clarity whatsoever when I started thinking about it, but it just sounded like a good idea to me. And then I ran into bigger pockets around 2014, started hearing that term house hacking and said, oh, this is something I have to do. And I kind of waited around too long, but it got started in 2016. Yeah. You know, getting started now, it's always, we could always start it sooner, but it's never too late to start. So, so 
your first property. So 2016, you bought a house hack. And by house hack, you mean you bought a house where now some people it's they buy a house and they rent out rooms. Mm-hmm. Did you actually buy a house or did you buy a duplex? I bought a duplex, but I also rented out rooms. Okay. So, so you bought a duplex, you lived in one side and, or did you rent out, did you rent out to somebody on one half or, or did you rent out all rooms in, in both sides of the duplex? I rented, it's an up down duplex. I rented the top unit, which was already remodeled to two younger college age girls. And then the bottom unit, which was not remodeled at all, kind of disgusting. A buddy and I moved into, we had the carpet and paint done before we moved in. And we lived in that unit. We also Airbnb'd the back porch. And this is in Minneapolis, Minnesota. So it's really cold there. Back porch had no insulation, no heating source. And we rigged it up so it would have some heat and it would stay just bearable. But we rented that out on Airbnb. So I actually oh paid 500 bucks a month to live there. Did you, so on the description, did you say there was slightly bearable, you know, almost warm enough back porch for like, what type of people would rent the back if you're like, it's barely livable? Well, it was big enough to be a room and I rented it really cheap. I rented about $30 a night. So I targeted the interns and the students that were close to the college I was at and all that sort of stuff and keep people for a month or two, actually. All right. So you'd say, hey, you know, 30 bucks a night, but they wouldn't just come in for a night. They would rent it for a couple months because they were like, hey, it's it's furnished already. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and the and it's short term. And so they could do so very cool. So you did the first house hack. You are you, your first house hack. You bought that. You rented out the rooms. You're really active in that. And then somewhere in that process, you said, maybe maybe I should become an agent. So what was the what was the transition like when you became an agent? How did how did you how did you do your first few months, your first six months, your first year? Well, I lucked out because I had another business going that I was almost out of when I started working as an agent. So I had a fitness business going. We did personal training for small groups and I had two trainers and an admin working for me. I was making $8,000 a month when I started working as an agent and didn't have to be anywhere at any certain time. So it works out well. So right now there are huge fitness centers that are getting shut down. COVID is crushing the workout industry. COVID is crushing the personal trainer industry. Like Mm -hmm. there is, um, I could totally see a shift of personal trainers getting into real estate or something else. I mean, that has been one of the saddest things I've seen in COVID is it's like this healthy thing that people aren't able to do or they will open and then they will close. And, And I've met a lot of people, even, you know, you know, I've met a lot of people that had businesses that they kind of got that workout businesses, fitness centers that got shut down during COVID. I've seen a lot on the business buy sell pages of, you know, fitness centers getting shut down saying, Hey, we just want to totally sell because we don't even want to make the the payment anymore. So you were able to say, so you had this business and so you said, so you were lucky. So you had that business and then you got into real estate. So were you lucky because you made money? So you didn't need the money in real estate or were you able to convert clients from your fitness business into real estate? I didn't convert very many. I tried not to mix them so much um, because I was in the process of grooming the head trainer to buy the business. And about a year later, I sold him the business, but I was able to learn how to sell. I was able to learn how to talk to people. I used to get so nervous talking to people, you know, before I got into the fitness industry, if I didn't know somebody, I couldn't talk to them. But after talking to people all day, every day, I got used to it and I'm comfortable going up to anyone talking to him now. But what I mean by I was able to keep that paycheck coming in 
while I was starting the real estate sales business. And for the first year, everything I made from real estate sales just felt like a nice bonus check. Yeah. All right. So, so you started real estate kind of on the side, mm-hmm. right? It was that, that nice bonus check. How did you get your first deals? Well, it, it, it wasn't on the side so much. I was working more than full time. I just was able to because I owned this business. My first client was actually from Bigger Pockets. You know, I met a guy. He wanted to do what I was doing. I was house hacking a duplex in the same area of Minneapolis he wanted to be in. And we found a great deal. He made a great profit off it a year and a half later, too. Well, so, so tell me how you get a client from Bigger Pockets. So, the, so that's, is that from the forums that's going on there and saying, hey, this is what I'm doing, talking to somebody. And then they said, hey, can you find me a house? Just really providing value to people, asking questions, trying to get into what I was doing. And that's a lot of what I do today. It's just provide value. I don't go out there looking for deals or looking for people to be clients. I just go out there trying to provide value. So, so, well, so break that down a little bit more for me. So new agent trying mm-hmm. to go find places to provide value where maybe people will see them. How would they do that through bigger pockets or from whatever, whatever other online sources are out there? If, if, if you were going to say, hey, go do these three things and I bet mm-hmm. it'll start working, what would you tell them? For me, I've always just done what I know about. So with house hacking, I know how to house hack. I've been house hacking for years now. I'm still in a house hack here in Austin right now. Been doing it since 2016. I can say what worked for me, how I found value. By the time I got my license as an agent, I'd already been house hacking for almost a year. And I'd been making $500 a month to live in it. So I just spoke to that. I spoke to what I knew. So do you do that? So do you do that on social media? Do you do that in forums when you're answering questions on different sites? The what are the what are the ways that people should go? Where should they go to do this? I do it on social media. I do it on bigger pockets. I talk to whoever I can. I host meetups. I have a podcast. Really anywhere I can get it out. I'm on YouTube, Bigger Pockets, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, even try to get out there and meet people as often as I can. And I'm just always out there trying to network, trying to meet people, trying to provide value to people that are interested in house hacking. So you're doing a lot of stuff online, mostly about house hacking. So you might be on forums and if somebody asks a question about it, you're going to answer the question. Or you may record a video or record a podcast or something out there where there's just that's, so that's your specialty. Is that your, is that, that your niche and your specialty that you provide value in and you bring in clients that way? Yeah, house hacking and just getting that information out there. I want to help other people save money and make money and have a better financial future. The, are most of your clients that you find, are most of them saying, hey, help me help me buy a house that I can house hack as my first investment? I'd say 85% or so are house hackers. Wow. Okay. So that is a really, really high percentage of people. So you're not out there farming for business. You're no. out there saying, hey, this is my expertise. And so then when people reach out to you, they're like, okay, I want, I want in. I want to do that. Yeah, I try to work with people that specifically want what I have and what I do. And I don't just go out there looking for random business. And I think that's always my first year I sold 24 houses, 23 of them were to house hackers. You know, so I think that's always been good for me is just to stick to my niche. Wow. So the so 23 out of 24 were house hackers. Now, where did they find out about you? Those other, especially, especially your first year, just getting started. So your first guy was on the Bigger Pockets forums. You had a place there. Where did the rest of your people come from that year? Some Bigger Pockets, a lot from my sphere and social media, just getting out there and talking to people. 
Okay. So you would just get on and record videos and say, Hey, I, I bought this house and I live in one site and I get paid to live here. And then people would say, tell me more. You get paid to live there. Yeah. And I started having meetups almost right away too. So I got my license in September. I started doing meetups in around December and had people over to my projects, had people over to projects of friends and just talked about what we were doing. All right. So how many deals are you doing a year now? Around 40 a year. I did 41 last year. Uh, gross volume was about 7.9. Okay. So that's like 200,000 average sales price or so? Yeah. And you know, that's actually gone up quite a bit since I've been in Austin. That My, my last full year was in Minneapolis. This won't even be a full year in Austin, but the average sales price is 350 or higher. Real estate rock stars, this is Aaron Amuchastegui with a quick commercial break from our sponsor, Rent Ready. Why do you invest in real estate? To retire early? To build your dream home? Start your own business? Whatever the reason, whatever the dream, Rent Ready can help you reach it. With Rent Ready's unlimited property management features, your real estate dreams are also unlimited. Rent Ready is landlord tenant software that covers all of your real estate investing needs, including unlimited properties, tenants, and live customer support so you can start small and grow your business without increasing costs. You know, I've had plenty of subscriptions before where you get charged like per house that you own or per deal you've done. And what they're saying is, hey, it's gonna cost the same thing no matter what. Whether you have one house, 10 house, or 100 houses, they're not gonna penalize you when you grow and they're gonna help you grow. Rent Ready is a flat price and scalable for your needs. No need to shell out big bucks for multiple management softwares with Rent Ready. They have everything you need all in one platform so you manage your rentals and grow your portfolio. As a special offer, you've heard it on here before, you can try Rent Ready for one year for only a buck, but wait, you have to use our code. Here is the code ROCKSTAR, R-O-C-K-S-T-A-R, and sign up for Rent Ready's annual plan at rentready.com. That's R-E-N-T-R-E-D-I.com with code ROCKSTAR to get Rent Ready for a year for just a buck. And if you want to learn more about Rent Ready or you want to learn more about Ryan, the CEO and founder of Rent Ready, go check out episode 939 where I interviewed him about why he created this, this platform and what they're doing next. So how did you transition your business from, so in Minneapolis, you'd become an expert. People looked for you there. You did meetups. Probably some of those people would continue to go to meetups. Maybe they'd go to a few before they'd actually hire you. And then a you lot. decided to move. So why did you move to Austin? And how has, how has it been to transfer your business, like to grow new business in a place that you weren't from before? So I did a little bit of what I had done before. I, I kept the other business going for the time being. So I was still making income and I started this business mostly with Sphere and, and people on bigger pockets. I've been investing in Austin since 2018. So I have some experience with homes here. I'm able to speak to that. And I've got a track record to show people how I've done. But yeah, it's it's not easy starting over in a new, new space. When did you move to Austin? In April of this year. So a month after the world shut down, yeah. you, moved, you moved out to Austin. You, you used to do meetups. The, now, Texas is more open than many places in the world right now. Have you done meetups since you've been here? Do you do virtual meetups now? Or is it, or, or how do you, how, how did you find new people out here with that sphere? Mostly virtual, but as soon as I'm going to do a rehab on the other side of the duplex I'm in here in a month or two, I'm going to start an in-person and keep it real limited just to see how people feel about it. 
But my sphere here, I actually have already known a lot of people here. I lived here in 2016. Um, I've been back and forth since about 2018 pretty consistently. And I know a lot of people that have moved here from other places, as everybody and their mom is moving here right now from all over the country. It's easy to know people who've relocated to Austin for me. So one of the questions we like to ask people is, do you do more, are you more of a buyer's agent or more of a listing agent? I would guess that you're more of a buyer's agent because people are helping you get the deal. Almost all buyers. Yeah, exactly what you're talking about. I'm helping people find house hacks to get into. And I actually really enjoy that. I help, I like helping them sell them. And a lot of the times I'll sell them a year or so later, but I really like helping people get into house hacks and find good deals. Yeah. So about the, 90% buyers. So 90% buyers and are most of them, they're not really, are they first time buyers? Is it people buying their first house and then figuring out how to do that with it? First house, or I've actually had quite a few people sell their first house, which they bought a single family with the white picket fence and moved into and had their dogs and had all these things and said, hey, I don't want to do this. This house hacking sounds like a much better idea. So they've sold their houses and moved into duplexes with me. That is really cool. You know, uh, Kimberly Meserve is, a, is another gal that we interviewed that she focuses on a, on a bruise and buy. So she did like a, a, a meetup and it was, it used to be, they'd go to, they'd go to a bar and she would tell people how to buy their first house. It was like a first time home buyer workshop. Yeah. And then she converted that to a, you know, a virtual meetup and really has grown a huge business on that. on focusing on first time buyers. And it sounds like you have a very similar business plan but yours is kind of first time buyers with that niche, with that idea of, hey, now you can afford to do it this way or you know, make money by buying your first home. And so maybe as you start to, you know, to see that, the, you know, the new meetups, the virtual, be curious to see how that happens, especially when, do you think as the real estate market, uh, prices are going up in most places right now, right? Most, in most places right now, it's it, multiple offers on houses. Houses are selling for more than they were you know, six months ago, more than they were a year ago. Does that make a house hack a better or worse option? Does, it, does, the, does home prices going up, how does that impact uh, your clientele? You know, I think it makes it a great option. I don't think there's ever a bad time to house hack. If the numbers work and you can live for considerably less than you were living for, and you can make money on the property when you move out, why is that a bad time to buy a house hack? So I don't okay. think there's ever a bad time to do it. You know, you're going to make money. So again, so we're talking, we're talking to agents right now, but if you were going to give them a crash course in that, or they want to start telling people about that as an option, or somebody comes to them and says, Hey, I want to, I want to buy this house, but I can't, or I can't afford it. So then your natural thing is to say, well, if you house hacked, you could, how do they calculate it to make sure that they can afford it? So you said, Hey, if they can afford it, do it. But a house hack is kind of different because it's not necessarily based on your own income anymore. How do you help them figure out if they can afford it or not? You just need to look at the rents for the area. And most of the time, the rents are not going to be where they need to be at. So if you're looking at a duplex, for instance, and one half is already rented, you cannot be guaranteed that that side's going to be at market rents. So you need to look at what does each side of the duplex need to have done to get up to market rents and what are market rents? So maybe you need new flooring, new paint, light fixtures. You sort of have to think like an investor. And you, same when you're an agent, I think it helps to be an investor, but think like an investor when you're helping somebody buy a house hack of how can they add value to this property? How can they get the rents up? 
And then what's their mortgage or what's their part of the mortgage payment going to look like after they get the rents up on that other side? So if we're buying a duplex in North Austin, the rent's going to be 24, sorry, mortgage is going to be $2,500 a month. Each side can rent for $1,500, but one's rented out for $1,000 right now. What do you need to do to get that side up to $1,500? And what do you need to do to get your side in a position where when you move out, you could rent it for $1,500? Okay. So you start doing some of that, that cash flow analysis. So what are, what are some of the bad things that happen with house hacks? Just not understanding what you need to do to get the rents up or underestimating that. You don't want to guess. I get lots of people that want to know, hey, how much is this rehab? I know that I'm not the smartest guy in the room when it comes to estimating rehab costs, but I have great contractors that can come out and do it. So if you buy a house hack and say, hey, this is only going to be a few grand to fix this unit up, there might be some guy out there that'll do that for you, but maybe he doesn't do it right. Maybe the actual cost is 20 grand to fix that unit up and you don't have that money. So you need to figure out before you get into something, how am I going to pay for this and what's it going to produce when it's done? Yeah. So it's not just the purchase. It's the upgrade after that. Do you ever have problems with when you're renting rooms out that the people don't get along with each other? The, cause they're kind of, cause they're sharing a kitchen, right? Mm-hmm. Personally, I haven't done a lot of that. The people I know and people that I've helped do it, like to do a meet and greet type thing and make sure they interview the person that's moving in and they understand who this person is that's moving in and and can reasonably assume they're going to get along with the other roommates. So the so I think there's two ways to house hack. One would be buy a duplex and you live yep. in one side and you rent out the other whole side to one to one group, right? Mm-hmm. So you're not about room that's a very simple one and i guess you don't have to worry about if they get along or not the other version i mean somebody could actually just buy a four-bedroom house live in the master and rent out three bedrooms one off to other individual people mm-hmm. do you do half and half do you do more of the duplex style where you rent it out in big sections or almost all small multi-family for me okay. that's so what like i've always small... done that seems like it'd be a little easier a little bit easier to rent out half a multifamily and that instead of, you know, I could just receive problems with you're renting out your room to somebody. And then afterward, if there is a conflict, a personal conflict, all of a sudden there's also a legal agreement uh, with renters. So um, interesting stuff. So maybe it's super simple, buying small multifamily, living in multifamily, having it be your asset and your investment. And at least a portion of the, at least, you know, a portion of that multifamily is going to pay rent because you're one, you're that one side that's taking care of it while you get to live in, in that investment property. So how many properties do you have now? Me personally, I currently have five properties. We actually close on eight more this week. Wow. That's a big change. So you have five multifamilies. Did you buy those one at a time? Yeah. So I bought the, I have three sixplexes in Louisville, Kentucky, a multifamily here in Austin, and a single family in Louisville, Kentucky. All right. So if you were going to go back and tell yourself some advice about real estate, sounds like, you, like you've had a very specific niche about this is how you get your clients and it's house hacks and you're going to underwrite the deal and you're going to help provide value that way. And if you do that, you're going to help them get a good deal. But what are some other things in real estate that you wish you would have known your first year, either about you know, the, the process or growing a team or you know, deals that didn't go well? I just wish I would have stuck to my niche. You know, so there was also there's always these shiny objects floating around that look really attractive. You know, maybe I want to work with move up buyers, 
maybe I want to more focus on first time home buyers. And I kind of forgot that this house hacking thing is working really, really well for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I was runner up in the Midwest area of Keller Williams for rookie of the year when I started. And if I would have just focused on my niche instead of chasing every shiny object like investors and first time home buyers, I would have been in much better shape. So that's what I do now is I just stick to my niche. I think that's really good advice. I think when people are starting, they might not know what their niche is yet, right? A new agent might be, you know, that's a good time to try first time home buyers or investors or, you know, figuring out where you can get that lead source. But Jordan makes a good point there when he says, once you figure out something that does work, like he found his niche, now that he's found his niche, it's focusing on that. If something does work, going all in and trying to grow that. So what's next for growing this business? What will you be doing? It? So 2020 was a really interesting year, you know, especially in the, in the Austin area, the market has gone up like crazy. Uh, the, you know, the demand has gone up, supply is down. And I think that's everywhere. Mm-hmm. So when you have your goals for next year, are you, what are you going to be doing to, how many deals are you going to try to get next year? And anything extra you're going to be trying to do to get more deals? So what I'm going to do to try to get more deals next year is I actually just recently hired an admin part-time to work with me, just, just me down here. The team in Minnesota will be ending at the end of December. So I'm really narrowing my focus just down to Austin, only thinking about Austin, really going back to the niche thing. I'm just focusing on my niche. It's really easy in Austin as a real estate agent that talks about investing to get calls from California people every day wanting to invest in Austin. And those are harder clients to work with for me. But my idea, my goal next year is to do 60 transactions. So what are you going to do? So you said you've essentially you're closing down your Minneapolis team mm-hmm. and start and kind of building your Austin team. What are you going to do if one of those old clients in Minneapolis says, Hey, I, I want to buy another house hack. Refer them. Just okay. refer them. Great people there. So I know Correct. I'll get them taken care of. All right. So you'll still get to have your business there, but just instead of being hands-on as Jordan, you can say, Hey, here, here's the guys that, that worked with me and that can take that as you grow your new one. Yeah. You know, we said, if you were on stage, you know, you would name your panel network and leverage. So mm-hmm. the, so to t- talk about what you've done with that. So the, what is, what, what's your elevator pitch for network and leverage? So I think leverage number one, the first thing I did when I got my license is I realized I'm terrible at doing any sort of paperwork. I did one transactions paperwork and I immediately hired a transaction coordinator. And that freed me up to go out and network and meet people who are actually going to be buyers. So making sure to get that stuff off your plate, that's just a waste of time as an agent. Doing the paperwork for your transactions is not making you any money. And it's low dollar per hour work too. So you need to farm that out. It's really easy to farm out. You can pay a transaction coordinator roughly $300 a transaction to do Mm -hmm. your paperwork for you. And then you can focus on going out there and meeting people. I had a goal of three coffee meetings a week, my second year in real estate, and I just blew that out of water. So So how did you find that first transaction coordinator? Just talking to the broker in my office, talking to other people in my office. My KW office in Minneapolis is very smart. They actually hired an a on-staff transaction coordinator and they charge his services to the agents, but you, you have to have one. Talk to people yeah. in your office. They'll know where you can get one. It's something that's crazy about that. So in 2009, the cost of a transaction coordinator was 300 bucks a transaction. 
right? We're 11 years later. Houses are, I don't know, 50, worth 50% more, mm -hmm. right? Commissions are so much higher, but the cost of transaction coordinating has just has essentially stayed the same. Real agents can do more volume now uh, with all of that. And maybe, maybe the prices has stayed the same because there is some technology that makes it a little bit easier. But that's kind of funny when you say that it's, it's 300 bucks now and it's been like that for the past 11 years. It seems like everything else in real estate has gotten more expensive. Advertising has gotten more expensive. Lead gen has gotten more ex expensive. But the, that definitely seems like a really easy first step, you know, getting going toward leverage. So what about network? That was the other side, side of, your, of your recommendation. How should people use their network to succeed in real estate? So just talk to everybody, tell everybody you're in real estate. I know that's always the, the advice that's passed around is when you get your license, tell everybody you're in it. But more than that, talk about it on your social networks that you're a part of. Get out there and meet new people. Go to as many meetups as you can when meetups come back in style. I think that's going to be a few months, but get out there and talk to as many people as you can every day about it. Who did you hire after your first transaction coordinator? What did you do? What did you do next? Because you ended up getting a, a like a, you built up a team, right? Mm -hmm. And you had a few employees or partners on that team. What mm -hmm. was your next hire? So it was really easy to say, all right, the first one you needed a transaction coordinator. What happened next? Uh, Full-time admin. Okay. What did they, what did your full-time admin do? What did they not do? Uh, database management, writing offers, transaction coordination, you know, working with buyers and sellers on the back end, you know, checking with buyers and sellers. They did so much. It just takes so much off your plate. My admin now actually does my bookkeeping. She does database management. She finds podcasts for me to be on. She updates any information I need deals with any of the back-end transaction coordination, just all the stuff that I'm just absolutely terrible at. Yeah. What technology do you use to kind of manage manage the database or do the follow-up? What's what's your favorite sort of technology out there that you like using? KW Command's been great for me. You know, I'm, I'm a bit cheap and it was free and it actually works really well. All right. So the, fair enough. So the, so you're, you're a KW agent, you have access to their, to their CRM kind of tracking stuff for free. So you, so you use that. Anything else that you've used over the years that you thought was, was good too, or, or does your new one do everything you need? It does. So we used follow-up boss for a really short time. I could mm -hmm. really never get into it probably because I was already using command and it was easy, but my admin at the time wanted to use it. So we tried it out. Um, another tool I've used a lot of is Keller Mortgage. They'll do, I want to say, half price closing costs on mortgage on most mortgages. So they eat a lot of those closing costs. And they don't charge any origination fees. I've used that as a big tool to get listings sold to help buyers save money. You know, if somebody comes to me and I have a listing and they say, hey, we want you to cover roughly 3% of our closing costs, we'll say, hey, that's great. Keller Mortgage will cover half and we'll cover half, but we're not covering all of them. And almost always when I say that to a buyer's agent, they come back and say, okay, they'll just take half. And most of the time they don't even want to use Keller Mortgage. Just because you gave them the option of somebody else can pay for them if you just use this mortgage company, they drop it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that has been a common kind of negotiation that happens a lot lately. Hey, we need you. Hey, we need you to help with that. So whether you're in KW and you get to use Keller Mortgage or you're at a different office, especially if you're working with, with first-time home buyers, having a partnership with a mortgage broker 
mm-hmm. that can do something like that. That's a quick answer to an agent saying, hey, we need, a, we need a big credit. And you're like, cool, no problem. If you use our preferred lender, we'll give you that credit. Now, that has been something that, hit, that used to be used you know, back in California in 2009, 2010, a ton. Right, so use our preferred lender. We'll pay your closing costs. We'll only give you a three percent credit if you use our preferred lender. You know, there's ways for people to say that and have it be totally acceptable. I don't see that a lot today in, in conversations. That might just be be me, but as you say that now, it's the first time I've heard that in a while. But it used it used to be very commonplace. You know, home builders too, new homes. If you use the home builders oh, lender, they will give you twenty thousand upgrades plus all of your closing costs paid for. And if you don't use their lender, you get nothing. Yeah, right? it was really simple. They're like, okay, well, then I'll use your lender because it really feels like they can do that. So I think that's, I think that's a great reminder to people to, if they're especially, especially working with first time buyers, if they don't have a, a different mortgage broker that they're partnered with, start trying to find a, a, a mortgage broker you could partner with that could help you with some of those things. So, so tell us about your podcast. So the, you came, so now in Austin, now you've got a podcast. How many episodes are you in? What do you talk about? And what has that done for your business? So my podcast is called the Austin Real Estate Investing Podcast. Super unique name, I know. I mean, yeah. It's all about Austin real estate investing. And we just talk to people who've been investors in Austin or who are investing in Austin. What that's done for my business is just added some credibility. You know, it was really easy to get started. It's also a great way to network. You know, any person I interview, I ask, who else do you know that I can interview? You know, we've had a lot of people on, like like the YouTube agents, some other guys that talk so much about YouTube mm-hmm. and talk so much about creating videos on YouTube for their city that tell people like, hey, what to do in this city, what to do on those things. It gains them credibility and gets them deals. I haven't talked to anybody that used, you know, building a podcast as that. So anyone out there that's, that's listening that, you know, has a YouTube page or they've started to try to do that. I would say, why not try a podcast? Now, some people love YouTube and love video. And equally, there are just as many people that love listening to stuff while they're driving in the car. And so being able to, and we see that on our own podcast. We've got a YouTube page where we present these. You could be watching us on YouTube right now, or you could be downloading it and listening to it on any of the places that goes. But I I like Jordan's idea of creating a very simple podcast for your area. And it could even be like like the, the guys said when they were talking about YouTube, it could be things to do in Austin, Texas. It's a podcast for things to do in Austin, Texas, and people get to start listening to that. And then they would reach out to them, you know, places to buy in Austin, real estate stuff. So really simple podcast. The Now you reach out to people, you interview them, you get to network and meet more people that way. And it's instant credibility for you, especially in a new city. So the I think that whether someone is a new agent or an experienced agent, there's probably something they can do with, we talk about YouTube, we talk about social media. We talk about getting out there and just recording stuff and creating content. And why not do the same thing with podcasts as you get to go do that? So now you've invested in lots of different places The you know you, with, your, with your five and now, and now you're getting eight more. You're going to continue to build that out in Austin. Next year, you're going to do 60 transactions you know, instead of 40. What's your, what's your long-term goal for, you know, for yourself, for your business? Uh, for your own investments? You know, if you looked at five, 10 years down the line, what, what, what are you hoping to be doing in your business? So yeah, right now I'm building a team, but my long-term goal for my sales business is to own a market center. On right. my sales business, that's really what I'd like to do. You know, I love doing this. I don't really want to do it forever. It's a lot of work. So in the, the near term, I'm going to continue to build a team. But in the long term, I want to open a market center for my investing business. 
we're looking to have 50 units in Louisville, 50 single family houses in Louisville by the end of 2022. Yeah, it's great to be able to, you know, to stay focused on that. I mean, and so you've given some great advice for the listeners today, right? So it's find a niche, find a niche and focus on that niche. And then, you know, that becomes, and you know, at the beginning, it may take a little while to find it, but then stick with it. You said your biggest mistakes was actually when you tried to follow other objects instead, you had something that was working, but you wanted to do more. And you said, you know what, it's better to get back to what you're, what you're doing, you know, partnering with a brokerage, with a mortgage broker to be able to actually, you know, enhance some things with that and just providing a ton of free content for people. And that could be on social media was working. Now you're using uh, the podcast to do it. The, what are... Anything, anything to add? I mean, so you're you're giving us a, a copy of your house hacking ebook, right? So if people go to hybendigital.com, they click on get the toolbox. In there will be a copy of your house hacking ebook. What's in that? Just talks all about house hacking and my journey with house hacking and really what that all looks like. So if you're an agent that wants to learn about house hacking and be able to help other people with that strategy, or maybe you want to get into house hacking yourself and then help other people with that strategy. Definitely read some material about house hacking, learn and experience house hacking, and you can help people. You can have another great tool to help people save money and get started in real estate investing. Very cool. The any so anything else? The you know what what are kind of some final thoughts you want to leave with everybody if they want to reach out to you and ask you about house hacking or about your podcast? Any anything else? If people have questions, how should they find you, Jordan? Pretty much any social media platform, Jordan Moorhead, uh, Bigger Pockets, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. I check every so often, but not so much. So if you hit me up on Facebook or Bigger Pockets, probably where I am the most. I would say what I tell to all the agents is just always be out there to give. Just keep give, 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 and then you'll get everything you want in return. I want to say it's Zig Ziglar said, you know, help everybody else get what they want and you'll get everything you've ever wanted. And that's just always the attitude I've taken. When I've gone out there is I'm always here to help people. And the more people I can help, I won't have to worry about anything. Yeah. So if you're looking to network in Austin, go go find Jordan on his Investing in Austin podcast. If you've got, if you've got extra houses in Louisville, you heard how many houses he's trying to buy in, in Louisville as an investment, feel free to, to reach out to, to Jordan. Check out our toolbox for learning how to house hack or, or ask him yourself. I'm sure he'd be happy to help teach you that. Hopefully that is a new niche that uh, some of you listeners can add to your own toolbox. And maybe it's something that you'll be able to, uh, to help your clients and get more deals. So Jordan, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me here. Our real estate rock stars, thank you for listening. Bye-bye. All right, real estate rock stars, this is Aaron Muchastegui jumping in again to thank you for listening to the show. Hopefully you guys loved listening to that one. And I wanna make sure that you know about all of the extra resources that we have. And also we need your help. They say podcasts are free. You get to listen to podcasts for free. But what is the cost of that podcast? I would say if I could beg you to pay anything for that podcast, I would say the cost of the podcast is going and giving a review. So whether you download it on Google or Apple or YouTube or anywhere else, please go give us a review. Say what you liked, what you didn't like. It helps us get better guests. The more reviews, the higher we get in the rate rankings. Right now, we are the biggest podcast out there for real estate agents. And we want to keep that spot because we know there's lots of podcasts out there. So go give us a review. Also, be sure to go to hybendigital.com. If you liked any of the resources that those real estate agents talked about, we've got a huge video vault of those resources for free. 
Every punny that comes on the podcast that we interview, they give us something that helps them get their deals or helps them work with their clients. And we put that in the toolbox in our vault for you. So go to hybendigital.com and you can get it. If you're looking for real estate education, go to rebusuniversity.com. We have all sorts of courses in there to help agents succeed in real estate, how to get the listing, how to negotiate deals, you know, how to become an investor, all sorts of different stuff, rebusuniversity.com. And if you want to chat with me, go find me on Instagram. If you come find me on Instagram, you can send me messages. Tell me what you want to hear. Tell me what you liked, what you didn't like. We try to put a bunch of content out there too. You can find me in two different places. It's at rerockstars.com for our real estate rockstars page or at erinamuchastegui.com for my personal Instagram page where I can chat with you about all sorts of different things. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.